This episode is brought to you by Das London, Blockworks' number one institutional crypto conference where all the top institutions and people in crypto are going to be this March in London, what's becoming maybe the crypto hub of the world. I have a link in the show notes where you can learn more and also a discount code that will get you 10% off. Click the link, find out more, and I'll see you there. What's up, everybody? Welcome to another episode of Lightspeed. Today, we're joined by Liam from Jump and Lucas from Gito. These are two of the smartest devs in the Solano ecosystem. Guys, welcome to the show. Thank you. Thanks for having us. Yeah, pumped to have you on. I really am a little bit intimidated by the, the brain power we have in here, and Mer, I will include you in that. Um, but <laughs> we have a lot to talk about today because, Liam, you do a lot of work on Firedancer. Lucas, you work at Gito, who has their own client, but also liquid staking. And I think there's a lot of overlap between you two. And I think the general narrative in Solana right now is a big discussion around fee markets and just what are the optimizations that we need. Liam, I think, though, I just want to start with you. We're in this research chat together, and I try to keep up with all the things you say, and you're just cooking the whole time. I can't keep up. So I'm curious, like, what is the most important thing to you for Solana right now to optimize? Like, what is top of mind? Um, well, I think like a lot of the problems are actually general to blockchain as a whole and, and they could be generally applied. But I think in particular with Solana, um, what we have found, or at least kind of what, what, at, once you kind of stare at the data for long enough, what you find is that actually Solana has spare capacity in various places and some of the bottlenecks are actually imposed by implementation. And so one of the things that kind of we're seeing is that, okay, people want to fix fees. They want to fix um, the fee markets and all that by by adding in new rules, things like this uh, EMA uh, fee proposal, right, right lock fee proposal that people have been um, promoting um, before, you know, we've kind of fixed the implementation, you know, sorted out the bottlenecks, figured out kind of problems that don't involve changing the underlying protocol, right? And so uh, I'll leave it kind of there, but like there's there's a lot of implementation that can get fixed and sorted out in my mind before we uh, before we actually have to go and change the underlying. Yeah, I think I, I definitely agree. There's a lot of implementation um, things that can be fixed, and there are already some of them have been fixed since uh, like they were detected a few months ago. Some will hopefully be rolling out in one eighteen or one nineteen. I think a big one that's top of mind for anyone that's looked inside the validator is a scheduler. There's definitely a lot of work to better prioritize the packets and um, execute them more efficiently. So uh, Andrew at Solana Labs has built this kind of uh, new scheduler that basically there's like a centralized planner. And it kind of like dispatches work out to these threads. I imagine that's kind of what Liam was referring to and that the scheduler is like the big bottleneck right now. I do think Solana does need base fees. There is... Um, there's definitely a lot of state that's very hot and getting saturated. And um, I think it makes sense to start talking about those things now and how one could do them. But the same, because I think that's going to be like a multi-month process to get that, to get everyone to agree on something. There is a lot of juice to squeeze um, out of the current design. But uh, I do think that Solana will need some type of dynamic resource based fee at some point. What do you guys think about the latest proposal by Tao and Tolly on the economic back pressure? So I can give my thoughts and they're going to kind of, I hope they seem obvious. Um, so I'll start with an example. So, uh, Mer, do you own a car? 
Do you, yes. Like, do you own a car? Okay. So uh, suppose you wanted to sell me your car, right? Um, the you may go to the dealer and try and you know get a good price for it for to sell it to them, and they'll sell it to me later on. Or, you know, maybe I'll just come to you directly, right? And I'll sell it. Um, but those are two different prices, two totally different kind of parts of the market. But you would still consider that part like a car sale, right? Those are both sales of cars. They're, you're in the car se- selling market, right? Both of those things are, right? And so I see the same thing in, in the kind of the same sort of behavior in, in uh, these kind of transaction fee markets where you have different ways of like actually getting a transaction, you know, landed. You have different participants that you're passing these transactions through and how they're getting prioritized is kind of uh, way more complicated, right? Because then then we actually think, right? Then uh, at the outset, right? What we end up seeing and what you end up looking at as, you know, someone who's doing these, these analyses is that all you end up seeing is the block has some amount of utilization. You see the statistics about the block, but people seem to be losing the general narrative here that like these are actual people who are interacting. The validator is, is interacting and selling you block space as a user. And that's the interaction that we need to focus on is like, I have a, I am a, I am a buyer of block space as a transaction sender. And I, have, and there's this other participant, this other individual in the market, right? Who is, uh, the, the actual block producer. And we're not, um, this EMA proposal kind of assumes that markets behave as like a hive mind, right? That everybody agrees on a price at some time. And that's never the case, actually, right? Um, I may get a completely different price and I should if uh, some block producer doesn't like my transaction, right? Like they don't think that they can execute it in a reasonable amount of time or it costs them more to run the transaction. Another important consideration is they may think that the network can't execute it in time or that it will make their block, you know, uh, less profitable, right? So it's important that we consider that there's this interaction that's extremely nuanced, right, between the buyers and sellers. And this this is already like, you know, this is something that's solved in in traditional markets and it's been that way for, you know, uh, a millennium. I don't know. You know, you have buyers and sellers, you have barter markets and all that, and it's continued on through to, you know, modern day. So why, isn't why mess the, um, isn't the complication that, uh, there's no real mempool here. Like it, it's kind of hard to really reason about, um, how to, how, how the validators should think about accepting which transactions and which ones to not accept, et cetera. I think that's definitely part of the, the issue is that the, um, Right, you can think about these things as a as a streaming auction, right? Uh, Ethereum, for example, their auction is also streaming. Actually, you guys had Eugene, and he used this terminology too, where he said that there that uh, uh, there's this kind of uh, streaming auction that's going on, right? What you have to realize is that yeah, you need to have if you don't have a bunch of transactions in front of you uh, before that auction is has happened or started, right? Uh, you're not you're not going to uh, be able to price things out super well, right? But um, you can start to look at other things, right? Look at historical blocks, look at other, like what's the, you know, transactions that I saw when I was last leader. There's a lot of data that you can look at to price out transactions. Um, and we're, I don't think the block producers are necessarily doing uh, doing all of that just yet. 
this might sound obvious, but what is the end goal for like this proposal, for example, that we're asking about? Like, who is seeing the benefit of this positive outcome that could be created? Is it, and I, I kind of want to make an analogy here that if you're in Ethereum land versus Solana, there's often this comparison that in Ethereum, the costs are put on the user with high gas fees. Where in Solana, the costs are put on the validators because it's higher hardware costs. I'm curious in this situation with what we're trying to improve here, what is the, who's the benefit going towards? Is it the developers or is it the users? Uh, I think it will be the users. The users will be one of it. Uh, one of the benefits here. Um, there's a lot, especially in like uh, the, the DEX markets. There's just a ton of spam. Uh, we did a study like a year ago, and basically like 99% of arbitrage transactions fail. 58% of uh, compute is spent on uh, executing these failed arbitrages. And it's just really cheap to like keep spamming these things and there's not really any economic back pressure here. So I think if you start to back pressure these bots to where it's like instead of a hundredth of a penny, maybe it's like a tenth of a penny or something like that, then it uh, kind of closes the window on like the the profitability for ARPs. Like if you're anytime someone trades, if if they're creating any uh, arbitrage opportunity that's over a hundredth of a penny, there's going to be an arbitrage transaction that immediately follows that. So if you're bumping up the fees a little bit on these super hot things, it kind of creates less arbitrage here. Um, I think also the uh, the network will benefit as well. Like there's some, you know, if, if that Solana is burned, then that will kind of benefit users of Sol as well. Um, it's not quite the like, I don't think there's an emphasis on like the ultrasound money piece here, but it's just a piece of it that uh, helps out. Just to add a few cents there, it's going to be better for the users just because like if as a user, um, sometimes let's say I'm, I'm on Jupyter and there's a big airdrop, I submit it and maybe it doesn't make it to the blockchain. That's because maybe the leaders are overwhelmed or, or, or just keeps being forwarded until uh, it expires. And so, it, you know, um, it's going to be better because today there was a, so might as well just talk about this today. There was a, when airdrop or like was an airdrop. It was just like a claim um, kind of a, almost for like the new standard that uh, Jupiter is doing with, with bridge split. Um, and, and I actually think the network performed better than before um, in terms of, I think ecosystem readiness, especially like basically what happened was um Jito kind of did the airdrop and like literally nobody was ready and nobody had fees on and everybody was just kind of spamming and nobody, <laughs> it wasn't obvious which transactions would work. And then now it's becoming more and more predictable. Of course, it's always going to be somewhat stochastic here because the scheduler is relatively uh, sub subpar in, in implementation until 1.18. Um, but, but anyway, so um, Liam, you had some takes on on kind of the network jitter that we've seen um, in the past, let's say, month or maybe two months. And now we're going to be seeing more airdrops. Uh, I can see like three or four coming in the next month. Can you maybe explain for the audience why this network jitter is happening and what's being done about it? Well, so we could talk about jitter, uh, but it's also important to talk about what the downstream effect of that is. Right. Uh, and so uh, the jitter comes from a few things. Right. Uh, jitter is just kind of this general thing that, you know, in um, I don't know if it's computer science or we call it networking or what. 
where it takes a certain amount of time from, you know, it may be that on average, the amount of time it takes for me to get something, you know, a transaction landed, a message from me to you takes a certain amount of time. Typically, maybe, hopefully that average or that mean time is deterministic. Uh, but the uh, deviation we would call jitter, right? And so that jitter ends up, if it's large enough, right? And in some, in some cases in Solana, that, that uh, when you're sending a transaction, that can be the case. A sophisticated actor like, you know, a, a bot or someone trying to do arbitrage or, or things like that will, will not be able to land deter, like deterministically, uh, or at least not necessarily deterministically, but with um, better certainty, right? And the way this ends up playing out is that when you have jitter, right, uh, you end up place, the transaction gets placed kind of more randomly within the block, right? Or more, uh, as well as your priority fee ends up getting you into the, into the leader at a, at a later time, which ends up resulting in you uh, placing later in the block, which was not your intention, right? What ends up happening is now, you know, it's about a probability distribution, right? Of when can I, how probable is it that I will land uh, if I send n transactions, right? Uh, because the priority fee seems to break down when there's a lot of market or when there's a lot of like activity in the actual uh, in the network, right? What ha what happens is that uh, people will send n transactions, and so the the currency then becomes how many transactions can you send, not priority fee, right? You'll send five transactions because you maybe know your probability of successfully landing is twenty percent, right? It's, and especially when, right, the fee markets break down. So it's like, you know, let's say, you know, tomorrow there was, you know, we all started using beads instead, right? Instead of dollars or something, it's the same sort of thing. The, if the market breaks down for dollars, then we'd go to some other thing, right? Same thing here. The market breaks down, people resort to some other current form of currency, and that's just sending a lot more transactions. A good answer. Lucas, I'm curious how Gito comes into play here and how you look at this because um, like Liam was explaining, right now you have an incentive just to almost spam the network because you can use latency versus paying a fee to actually land that arbitrage. Once that scheduler improves and we have these updates, then it, then it moves latency to actually using a fee uh, to get placed in the position that you want and that leads to Gito. So one, I'm just curious, if the scheduler gets fixed, is that huge for Gito because that should direct traffic potentially to you? And yeah, just I'm curious about your thoughts on the situation. Uh, yeah, I mean, I think it will. Uh, I think that Jito would be useful before and after this, and we're seeing a lot of activity right now on Jito. Um, Jito basically makes this uh, fully, or not fully, but way more deterministic in that you only need to send one bundle or transaction to Jito, and Jito kind of has a its own scheduler that we run, which basically uh, takes other factors into account other than the priority fee. And I guess this may be just the implementation detail of Solana, but there's no way to like dynamically tip or have like a dynamic fee to validators in Solana. Uh, I put out a proposal for this. I think it's SMD109, uh, I think. Um, but... Uh, Basically, there are uh, traders that are willing to pay more if you guarantee them access to block space. And um, even like the, tr the ordering within the block. 
So they can send to Jito once, and there's kind of uh, most searchers are doing dynamic tips where they will say, oh, I arbitrage this thing. My program detected I arbitrage this thing for 100 soul. I'll give the leader 10 soul if they guarantee me this opportunity. And we kind of filter out the stuff and do the simulation for the leaders and send them the profitable trades. So basically, um, somewhat prevents the spam problem. Uh, currently, like 50, almost 52% of stake is running the Jito client. So it's not 100% today. Um, but uh, yeah, I think to answer your question, I think that there will be use cases for Jito even when the new scheduler is uh, implemented. Quick question on that, though. You, I know that Jito has more than 50% of the stake, or more than 50% of the stake is using the Jito MEV client. But how many ARB transactions do you think are actually going through Jito versus just going through uh, you know, base layer? Oh, it's a good question. Um, I'll look into that. We were kind of uh, rewriting our like database, so it's easier to figure this stuff out. Um, but, uh, I mean, there are... I don't have the answer for the number of transactions, but for the the fees that are getting paid, the fees that are getting paid to leaders through the tips are much higher than priority fees. Um, so I think it's like this week so far, there's been uh, almost a million dollars paid to validators through Jito and stakers through Jito tips. Um, That's awesome. It's much, much lower for priority fees. Nice. Um, I want to now, so we, we covered briefly the boring stuff, the network problems and some of the, some of the low level stuff. Let's talk about some of the high level stuff that, uh, our audience will hopefully understand more. Um, so Liam, um, sticking, sticking to, uh, objective facts and, and, and as least speculation as possible. Uh, a lot of people still don't quite understand what fire dancer is and what it aims to do. Uh, obviously, you're on the team. You have a better idea of this than anybody else. Can you briefly describe what Fire Dancer is, what it aims to do, and um, yeah, we can go from there. Well, so uh, Fire Dancer is uh, just a, a blockchain client, um, and it is a uh, being built uh, here in uh, in house at Jump, and. Uh, as we've talked a lot about, and Kevin Bowers, who's the, the head of this whole project, um, has talked about a lot. Like, you know, one of the things that was noticed early on in the kind of planning phase and the coordination uh, kind of phases for this this whole project was that, like, this thing ends up looking really similar to, you know, a lot of the stuff that Jump's, you know, really good at. They're bread and butter. And so um, it was kind of like a, a perfect it was kind of a match rate in heaven because we, we kind of, you know, could use a lot of the expertise, pull in a lot of the resources. And also, you know, it's something that, that, you know, we care about a lot. A lot of the folks here are like, actually want to see Solana succeed. They're, they're interested in, you know, if not interested in blockchain necessarily, like find this project fascinating uh, because there's a lot of problems that are not something that they'll get in like another kind of space. Right. Uh, A lot of the problems of, that jump has to solve are ones of like latency, whereas you know these blockchain problems are are, are bandwidth problems, right? Instead of being a, a latency first kind of problem solving approach, there's this kind of bandwidth first approach. This isn't really answering necessarily the question, but more to as to why. But I guess 
more to what we are blocked as a blockchain client. We're building this um, client for Solana all out in, in the open. Um, and, uh, you know, it's, it, the intent is to be high performance. Uh, we've published a lot of stuff and talked uh, talk to Breakpoint a lot about, um, you know, where we're at with that. And, um, yeah. Okay, Mert, I'm going to butt in for the, the people that are like me that aren't super technical. All right. So everyone has like a general framework, Liam or, or Lucas, uh, either one of you. Can you explain one, just the difference between like what a client is and then say like this SVM? So can you kind of define it's like there's multiple implementations versus like, yeah, specs. Can you can you explain that? Um, and then like one just like question that if this is so important, why don't we just throw like 50 people to work on this? Just the resources or what's the issue there? That's not how engineering works. <laughs> yeah. Well, exactly. This is for the non-techies. Because to me, like, Fire Dancer is the hottest narrative in Solana right now. And it's like, oh, it could improve performance from two to 10 times, whatever it might be. It's that important. So, yeah, I think Mert just said it. Why don't you just throw more resources at it? But can you start with just the general question of explaining what a client is? So, yeah, a client is basically, uh, it's a, a software package or um, it's, you know, a bunch of code that speaks this language of the blockchain. Every blockchain has some language that it talks and all these uh, pieces of software communicate with each other. So if I, if you send a transaction through Phantom or Soulflare or any other app on Solana, there is a, a part of the protocol of the Solana blockchain is the transaction should have this layout to them. There's like these addresses that you talk, that you uh, interact with. There's these programs and use instructions to talk to these programs and uh, all the way down to like the virtual machine. Like, how do I write code for this uh, blockchain? How does the the code compile? Um, how does it handle? I don't know. Like if you're doing math, how's it handling this math? Um and so a client is basically a piece of software that implements this logic um, in a perfect world to a spec. Um, there's not currently a spec for Solana, but uh, if you if you compare something to like Ethereum, there's a clearly a Ethereum specification. Um, there's a virtual the Ethereum virtual machine, which uh, has a specification to it and how it handles operation codes and things like that. And so um, that's basically like a client. So you could, in theory, like there's like the Solana Labs client, which is written in Rust. Um, Fire Dancer is working on one in C. And basically, um, it doesn't really matter that the code is like one-to-one. What matters is that like the core pieces of the specification are met so that when you send a transaction to the Solana Labs client or the Fire Dancer client, or the one being uh, written in Zig um, that the syndicate team's working on, or Jito Solana, they all know how to interpret it. When you process those transactions, they all come to the same same result, and they kind of propagate that state out in some format that meets the specification. Quick break to tell you about an upcoming event I promise you don't want to miss. It's BlockWorks' biggest and best institutional conference called DAS London. It's a two-day event happening in London this March. We're going to have over 700 institutions, 130 speakers, and a couple thousand of us all under one roof. Crypto is in a position for the first time to actually onboard these institutions and they're showing up. We have companies from BlackRock to Visa launching real products in the space. We have the real-world asset narrative taking off. We have things like payments that have been exponentially growing. And then we have things like DPEN happening in the Solana ecosystem. There's a ton of capital right now 
now in this institutional space is going to be coming on chain. It's going to completely change the industry. Whether you are an institution or you're a retail user or you just want to learn more about what's going on in the space, this conference is for you. You're going to be able to meet some of the best and smartest people in the space. The speaker lineup is absolutely incredible and you'll get to hang out with me. But the best part is you actually get 10% off your ticket if you use Lightspeed 10 when checking out. I'll put a link in the show notes. Um, I recommend buying this today because one, you'll forget about it. Two, these ticket prices go up every single month. So anyways, I hope to see you there. Now, let's get back to the show. So I want to um, get back to Jump and, and, and Fire Dancer. Um, with with this new Valder client, right, it, it seems like the goal is basically, or at least this is how Tolia describes it, which is the, 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 the first version of the client is like, okay, we're engineers, we're going to ship something to production, and then we're going to fix the airplane while it's still flying. Uh, but then now Jump gets to look at this and says, okay, there's clear problems here and you're not really under fire. Um, or at least you're not under the same kind of fire. Um, and now you get to kind of rebuild the system, learning from some of the mistakes that uh, the labs client made um, and, and, and basically try to squeeze as much performance from the, as the software allows you to get out of the hardware as humanly possible. And that results in ideally uh, some sort of uh, higher performance or maybe lower hardware requirements. Um, now, people don't really know what to expect when it actually goes live. There's obviously a lot of different um, scenarios possible, and I don't want to speculate too much. But like, what do you hope happens when Fire Dancer goes live, when the project is, let's say, in mainnet by X years? So um, my main hopes are that, well, I mean, we're going to spend a lot of time testing prior to that, that, that eventual date, right? So um, my hope is that, uh, you know, we first provide a client that that's works. I think there's a huge, <laughs> it sounds silly, but like literally like, it, you know, just w- would be great to just have a client that works and we could put that out there into the world because it's, uh, there are, there's obvious value. I think, you know, most people could see why there's obvious value to having, um, two clients. Um, it would make the network more resilient, um, and so, sorry, Lucas, you know, I, I know uh, some people like to say that the Gito client is a totally different second implementation. Uh, oh, it's okay. But, uh, <laughs> but I will, I will unfortunately not give you uh, that, uh, not today at least. Yeah. Um, so, but um, I think there's obviously a resiliency aspect to it. And certainly when both clients are operating the same network, um, you know, you kind of have to operate for the, the, you have to kind of operate at the, the performance of the least common denominator, right? So the, you know, uh, the guy running the node and, you know, uh, I don't know, name a, name a place that's really far away, right? And in a machine that's completely underpowered and with the, like the client that performs the worst, right? And so, um, you know, given that that's the case, right? Uh, that'll be the first, I think what that'll, that's most certainly what it will look like. I think then at that point, but I will also note that even if Fire Dancer does provide, you know, some improvement in performance or lower hardware requirements, uh, even if it does, Solana Labs is making a lot of performance improvements. Um, and, and people are actually noticing that. I think Triton pushed out something saying that, you know, their, uh, their hardware, their, their, um, you know, CPU usage, you know, was down drastically uh, in 117 or, or something to this effect. And so uh, it's clear to me that like the, while we are building this out, Solana Labs is also 
uh, building out and stepping back and also doing similar performance improvements, right? So that's interesting because, uh, Lucas, you guys have your own client um, for obviously, I mean, for purposes. And one thing that's um, probably something you're actually still thinking about is how, how will you guys think about your version of the client once Fire Dancer goes out? What do you think happens to the MEV landscape uh, as we get closer to that date? Yeah, I think that uh, Fire Dancer is open source. We've been keeping an eye on it, how it's evolving. I think it's still too early for us to kind of take a look at it. But I think once there's more written uh, code written and open that is more relevant to the pieces that we hook into, I think it we will start to take a look at it and figure out how to integrate. My gut is uh, it will be much easier to integrate than the Solana Labs client. Um, the Fire Dancer client consists of, uh, correct me if I'm wrong here, but there's multiple tiles, which are basically multiple processes. Uh, the, the Solana Labs client is just one giant process. So it makes it much harder to kind of hook into the Solana Labs client where a Fire Dancer client, we could spin up another process or maybe make a few changes to the process that handles the scheduler and block packing and uh, hook in anything that's relevant there. Um, I think that, uh, I think when it first comes out, there probably won't be that much impact on what we do. I think on a much longer time horizon, it's interesting to think about like what if Solana's doing um, what if like Anatoly's vision does come true and like this is like actually like something that does compete with NASDAQ um, with the latency and throughput. Um, it's definitely interesting to think about. I think current pieces of our system need to change and adapt to that world. And um, yeah, it's it's there's definitely going to be changes if the network's operating at like sustain 10,000, 50,000, 100,000 TPS. Um, not saying that like Fire Dancer or the Solana Labs client will be able to handle that, but I think that's the dream um, on like a, a multi-year time horizon. Um, also, I wanted to go back to one of your questions earlier too. I think we kind of talked about like the resiliency of why Fire Dancer and um, I guess to break it down for people, like why this is important, I think uh, we saw we actually saw this recently with uh, the Ethereum network. I think one of the minority clients, um, can't remember which one off the top of my head, there's basically a bug in the client and a part, part of the Ethereum network went offline for uh, maybe like a few hours or something. And basically, um, because Solana Labs is like the only client due to Solana, you know, maybe it's not a client, it, it shares like 99% of the code with the Solana Labs client. If there's a bug there, then that has the potential to take the entire network offline. And so if uh, there's multiple clients that are written a little differently, like Fire Dancer isn't a copy-paste, like let's just take this Rust code, tr translate it directly to C and you know, call it a day. It's like a ground-up rewrite, new algorithms. So um, basically, you, if one bug, if there's a client in one bug, hopefully it doesn't impact the network. And also, uh, there's a big security compete piece to it as well. So like Solana Labs client, it's importing all these libraries. Um, in the worst case, there's like some attack or piece of bug that 
happens to this library, or maybe Solana is using like some random crate uh, or like a, a piece of code that they're importing that is used somehow in consensus. And that piece of code changes the way that behaves. And now there's like a weird uh, bug that happens. And the goal is, you know, security. I think Fire Dancer isn't really importing that many packages. It's writing a lot by themselves. Um, that will be like thoroughly tested. So the goal is that if there's like a bug in one, then hopefully it doesn't impact the whole network. Yeah, I think that's, um, at least for me personally, that's the most interesting part, which is uh, you're reducing the probability of catastrophic failure because there's two things that are trying to do the same thing with different implementation. Um, and so that's what, what I look uh, forward to. But, you know, a lot of people uh, seem to think that this will eliminate all future outages, which is kind of, in my view, totally wrong. And um, one of the questions this opens up is, assuming a world where Fire Dancer is live, uh, I think Tolly has the idea that, well, like the top performing validators will kind of run both and then will fail over in, in, in case of some some issue. Do you guys agree with that? Like, because this, this has opened a lot of questions on Ethereum, like, because if you have an activity leak and you're on kind of the wrong uh, client, kind of money just, you know, goes in the air. Um, Solana doesn't have an activity leak. This is much of a problem. How should we think about client diversity uh, uh, with respect to security and liveness uh, when this goes live? So I think, um, so Tolly's idea when he first mentioned it, like, I had a lot of issues with it, right? For one, uh, I have a lot of issues with a lot of things Tolly says, at least at the outset, because they just, you know, they just come out and they're, they're straight. But in this case, after, you know, I got it kind of, I got the, the principle down, it makes sense. Um, but my issue with it was that, you know, I don't want people what running, you know, Fire Dancer's made to kind of, and many validator clients are really made to be run as kind of the primary application running on on a particular machine or, or whatnot. And so I I don't really want uh, Solana Labs mucking about in the same box as uh, as uh, Fire Dancer. And for, for for performance reasons, right? Like the the two clients take advantage of different parts of the operating system, and they'd actually just mutually, if you ran them on the same box, uh, you'd probably they just you know not perform well, you know. You, you want to put them on different boxes. So once I got over that that hurdle, right? Great. The two different machines. Now you know you run these two clients. They're checking each other's results. And you know, Fire Dancer, for example, has a has an issue. Um, you know, which I, I'm going to be honest. Like, I think we're, that that's not an I'm, like it. Solana's complicated, right? So like, I I don't think it's unrealistic to to be hit a scenario. And I would much rather like build the our client to do this failover process of, hey, we had a failure, let's gracefully, you know, quickly and quickly switch back over to labs, right? I'd much rather, while we're in that transitionary transition period where we're starting up, we're coming up on mainnet, I'd much rather be built for that rather than saying, well, we're perfect. Like that's just not, this is not going to be the case. We're going to find all sorts of fun bugs. and uh, We're going to sort out like as many of them as we can before we hit production. But, you know, to assume that we won't, uh, you know, uh, exactly reproduce uh, every single transaction that Solana will send day one. And this is not to say, I'm saying that these failures would be like, oh, we can't, like we process a transaction, Solana Labs thought it failed, we thought it succeeded, 
right? Fail back over to Solana Labs, right? They're right. Not that, oh, there's like some, you know, vulnerability. I more mean just like, we want to we wanna make sure that we're replicating labs perfectly. So we'll probably, uh, uh, we would fail over in that kind of case. Does that make sense? I think I had the same reaction. I think um, the hard part I think will be is um, if, um, I think at first people will, there might be, there may be some people that run both or maybe yes. Those that those operators that are um, feeling a little more comfortable with operating a client like uh, Fire Dancer and are willing to kind of chew glass if there's any issues, maybe they'll operate one and hopefully the network can transition slowly. I think my concern is uh, operating Solana hardware is already expensive, so if now you're like the socially accepted practice is running two boxes, like how many? people can actually afford to do that. What does that do to like the break-even amount of stake that you need? But maybe there will be like people that are like, okay, I like what you're doing. Um, I'm going to stake Solana to you guys because I like this and I think it makes sense for the network. And uh, I guess it's ultimately like up to what stakers want to do. I think on a longer time horizon, I think it's a little unclear. As you mentioned earlier, Solana allows is kind of built as a plane is flying. And they're they're kind of building it and fixing patching holes and whatnot as the plane's flying, and I think the Fire Dancer team kind of has this opportunity, and they're definitely levering, leveraging this opportunity. It's like, okay, let's zoom out, super big. What are the pieces? How do we most efficiently use the hardware and write software to do what the current client does? And it will, I'm guessing that it will be much more efficient from uh, basically every metric available than the Solana Labs client. And then uh, once it's like stable for some de- definition of stable as determined by like the operators and stakers, then there's going to be like, okay, I'm using like 10% of my CPU on this box running Fire Dancer. If we uh, like 5x block capacity, I can make a lot more money. And, but if we do that, then the, maybe the Solana Labs client can't keep up with that. And so I think that will be an interesting fork in the road to, uh, I mean, ultimately it's like proof of stake. People can stake where they want. Um, so I, I guess it'll be up to the stakers and maybe they'll be guided by engineers and people that understand the software well. But and I'm sure like Solana Labs, as, as Liam mentioned, like their 117 is much more efficient. There's no reason to believe that won't keep getting more efficient. And there's probably places where like, there's inefficient pieces of the lab stack they can plug in fire dancer stack um to kind of get some more performance there um but yeah i think on like uh once it's been running and people are like okay i'm ready to make more money with this thing we're hitting capacity can we increase the block space by like two or three or 10x or whatever it is then like then it's like okay are people going to run both and like, is the Solana Labs client just going to be like hundreds of blocks behind because it's trying to like chug through all this stuff? And uh, that's where it, it gets a little murkier. So we talked about at a high level, what we're talking about here is optimizing the living hell out of the the client to get as much performance as possible uh, on the L1. And uh, if you, if you zoom out a little bit. Uh, many people, uh, probably the majority of the industry doesn't actually agree with that approach, right? Uh, they will say, well, the L1's job is not that. Maybe it's 
mostly for consensus, making running full nodes as accessible as humanly possible, even if the incentives aren't there. And then maybe there's data availability that we must consider. And then let's offload the execution to the L2s. And then Solana is kind of saying like, okay, fine, but we're going to do this way. Uh, Liam, I want to start with you. Why do you think, because obviously, presumably, you're working on this because you believe in scaling the L1 more than the alternative. Why do you think that's the right approach? Well, uh, I think, you know, if we're going to talk about, you know, as compared to Ethereum, the whole point of the roll-up thesis and the L2 thesis was that this gets us scaled to where we need to be so that we could so that they could have done sharding right and so the and then eventually do you know uh the full dank sharding and then all of you know then you have this zero knowledge you know beautiful landscape where you have not infinite scale but like you have way more scale in theory than um any individual or any like it would scale a lot better than you know solana at least um, in glorious future where we have hardware for zero knowledge. But that's just taking a lot longer than I think anybody expected or signed up for. Um, and so kind of there's, there's this, I think people have accepted that that's now the thesis is L2. And so um, I kind of, at least personally, I saw this coming, you know, way, way earlier and kind of decided, hey, you know, this whole uh, this whole L1 thing, right? We we just have to, you know, we just got to sit down and rewrite some of these guys and maybe we'll have like an actual thing that we can actually scale to, you know, um, something that, you know, can run multiple major applications, right? If the question is kind of like, you know, one, why? Uh, why would I do this? I, I think it's really that like, it's, it's all about the fact that like, hey, th- there's like, the goal was actually with all of these things was to eventually go back to the L1 and do everything on, you know, with the zero knowledge stuff and, and all the vertical trees and all that craziness. Right. So wait a second, like, why don't we just work on the L1 thing all at once? And that's why I ended up, that was a big motivator for why I ended up joining Fire Dancer. Yeah. I don't think anyone's tried anything before. I feel like everyone's just kind of like throwing up their hands and they're like, Oh, this like won't scale. And so we're just going to like create these systems that will scale, but take uh, massive um, like shortcuts or they um, tend to compromise in like certain areas like decentralization. Obviously I'm very biased in Solana. Uh, I've spent the last like three years uh, of my life thinking about Solana basically every day. And so I'm, uh, I feel like there's a lot more juice to squeeze out of this. I think we're also seeing this with like Ethereum too, like the uh, Paradigm team in Georgia is building Reth and uh, making that very fast and very efficient. Um, and like, you know, what if, yeah, what if, what if people spent all this time focusing on L1s and trying to maximize that versus building all this L2 infra um, that compromises on like, some of the things that we came here for in the first place. Well said. I'm curious how you square that with the idea. I was listening to a podcast yesterday and Tarun was on it, so I have no idea if this is accurate or not. But one of his points was Ethereum obviously moves pretty slow, and they have a reason for a lot of that. One reason he said is also because you have four client teams, at least, that are trying to like work on these upgrades together because at the end of the day, they have to be able to work with each other. 
Do you see, let's just assume that Fire Dancer doesn't become the only client in Solana. Let's assume there's more than one. Say there's like three to four. Does does that slow down the pace? How does that slow down the pace of development? So like one one real question would be like the scheduler. Would this affect how quickly that scheduler could roll out? Because Tarun's example was like billions of dollars of equity value has appeared out of Ethereum moving slow. And by that, he's talking about Celestia, for example. He's like, if you only had one client, maybe they could already have dank sharding. And instead of Ethereum capturing that value, now you have all these companies popping up. So I'm just curious, like, how do you see that playing out in Solana? It's definitely going to slow things down. I think that has been Solana's superpower up until now, um, having a single client. Um, they've been able to move extremely fast. There's kind of like less stakeholders involved. Like, ultimately, client, client teams have a lot of say in uh, what happens. And also, like, when you get more people involved and stuff, to your earlier point, like, why not throw 50 engineers at it? It's like, what's the saying? Like, uh, nine women can't make a baby in one month. Uh, Like, stuff just, engineering doesn't work like that. I don't think anything works like that. Um, So, I think it it will slow things down. But I think also, like, if you get the right people involved, Solana is a very engineering-focused chain. Uh, There's been a lot of, like, rigorous engineering involved with it today. That's only if you want to build a Solana client, you have to be like partially crazy, but also like very talented as an engineering team. And so I think that while it might slow things down, um, I think that if you get the right teams involved, it can potentially speed things up. And I could definitely see that happening with Solana. I think um, at least talking to some people at Firedancer, there's like a few things in the protocol where it's like, oh, if we like, switch to this algorithm that the labs team like didn't they weren't aware of it or maybe they um yeah maybe they weren't aware of that this like new algorithm that leverages hardware with like forex efficiency then maybe you can uh maybe that will actually speed things up because you don't end up going down like less rabbit holes yeah i'll give my 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 piece on this so what we i'll tell you right now Solana's development and like the this pace of things is already slowed down, and not necessarily uh, so like things like the scheduler. They actually those scheduler improvements actually only affect really the individual clients, right? Um, I could write my own. Actually, today, Garrett, if you really wanted to, you could go and replace the scheduler yourself, right? Um, and it wouldn't break anything. It would just change how when you're the leader, you build blocks, right? So, um, totally a lot of things like that are doable today where like it's performance improvements. And again, they're shipping those without us. You know, we don't have to, you know, be a part of that. They just ship these performance improvements. Right. Um, There are some fundamental things that like, okay, these are part of the protocol. We have to go back and change them. And that kind of stuff has slowed down a lot, but not in like, you know, not in a bad way, more in like, okay, let's sit down and really think about the problems. Right. Uh, Because like, we want to make a very precise, small change. Solana is actually a really quite good protocol, right? Things like the account model make a lot of sense. Um, things like the, uh, you know, the way the the virtual machine SVM is kind of laid out makes uh, largely makes a lot of sense. Um, and so like there are pointed things now where we're like, okay, uh, there was a proposal about, you know, oh, the priority, half the priority fees being burned right now. That makes no sense. That's a pretty pointed kind of proposal. Let's go and fix that. Or, 
um, you know, there's uh, there are sometimes, you know, there are a few things that we're kind of uh, holding on to now where it's like, oh, there's this little kind of esoteric thing that's right over here that everybody has to do. But if nobody, if we didn't have to do it, um, you know, it would make things, it would give us back like, you know, 10% or 20% in this one part of the whole kind of picture of uh, the performance picture, right? So um, we're doing a lot of that. And then also with the bigger stuff, they're, they're also, you know, stepping back and saying, okay, but how does this now affect another client? And um, I think at least what I've heard from uh, some people from labs is that that's really helping them sit down and really think about the design and the implementation and how that just kind of is, is it generally a good idea to do this thing? Is it generally a good, uh, like, uh, you know, does this help, you know, are there other reasons why, you know, doing X actually helps the network other than just, you know, patching something that's not working well, right? I think you just answered this, but is there any reason for the teams of Solana to be slower with upgrades just because it pushes out the runway for you working at Fire Dancer? Because I'm assuming all these upgrades you have to introduce as well. Yeah, exactly. And so that's a, that's a big part of it, right? So uh, there was a point where they were adding like new feature gates and new features that were getting, that were chained consensus on, on a fairly regular ba basis. And we've now caught up to most of them. Uh, but uh, we were, there was a joke running around in our team that uh, every, at least once a month, there would be a new hash algorithm or some new cryptography thing that they just pull in a crate for. We have to go and get uh, Kevin Bowers you know, are the cryptography guys and to, to come and re rebuild it up from scratch. And so, uh, like, that's all kind of slowed down now. And uh, it seems like it's letting labs focus on these performance things, which seem to, like, that's it. Performance is, a t you know, TPS is a feature, right? Um, so, I, you know, I think it's great, um, especially when the protocol is kind of in a good spot, excluding fees and, and a few other kind of minor little minutia. Things seem to be, like, kind of in a good state. And, and you know, it seems like, it, at least that's my impression. Lucas, this is a quick one for you, just because as I'm listening to this conversation, uh, it popped up in my head, and I bet a lot of people listening are thinking the same thing. We were talking about, like, whose responsibility is it that we have multiple clients? Like, should should apps actually run more than just one client, like FireDancer and Labs, for example? And then my mind jumps to Jito, because so many people run Jito, and you now have Jito Soul, which is the staking product, which reminds me of Lido, which the Ethereum community is putting a lot of pressure on them to choose the correct, I say correct, whatever they think correct is, validators. And that could be validators that use certain clients so that you have diversity, a lot of resp responsibilities on that team. I'm curious how you think about it, but I want to frame it as, on Solana, there's only a 5% staking rate, so or, or liquid staking rate. So it's not like much of that's actually under Jito, but yeah, I'm curious what you think about that right now. Yeah, I mean, ultimately, it's up to Jito uh, governance to decide these things. Um, I don't really have like a say in it. I guess my personal take is that I think uh, if Jito Soul continues to grow, I think it will become more important. I guess right now it's mainly like Jito Solana or Solana Labs. They're essentially very similar, like 99 or 98% of code shared. I think when Fire Dancer goes live, it will be interesting. Um, keep coming back to StakeNet, but StakeNet has the ability to track these things on chain. And so that's something that um, if someone feels strongly about it, they can go and make a governance proposal. Like, hey, there's the Jito Solana client, the Solana Labs client, Fire Dancer, SIG, like uh, we should... You know, right now the the delegation algorithm does X. 
when taking into account valid air clients. We think it should change to where it's like one third each, or we think that you could go the opposite direction and like we'll take whatever one pays more. Um, so it's kind of just like it's up to governance to decide. But uh, I do think that as more clients come online on like a multi-year time horizon, looking at like two, three, five or more years, you need to take into account the valid air client that's running uh, on the liquid staking protocol. The uh, the cool thing about Solana with staking is that it's all delegated. So you can kind of like pretty easily move stake around to, to new operators that uh, are running certain clients. While we're on the topic of staking, I do want to quickly touch on one of the most common criticisms of Solana, which is sustainability, let's say, of, of validators. Uh, and Lucas, you're probably the best person on the network to answer this. Um, first, I'm curious to get your thoughts on kind of that criticism. I'm sure you know what it is. Um, I know you guys also have, um, uh, and like I know that whenever I post like a, a chart of the priority fees, you'll also like post like the MEV fees and you're like, well, uh, <laughs> you know, Jito <laughs> is also doing quite well uh, and enabling validators to earn more. Um, and then you also have something called StakeNet that I know you guys released recently and, or at least you finally uh, uh, wrote about it. So th- thank you for that. Um, so if you want to just also talk about that as well. Yeah, I mean, I think there's there's a lot of things that are happening that will make validator profitability better. Uh, one is the thing that Liam suggested earlier, where 100% priority fees go to the validator instead of this like 50-50 burn thing. That should help a little bit. Um, that, that's just like a good change in general to have. It's more, uh, encourages less like side channel payment, but also it just makes validator profitability better. They're earning 50% more. Um, there's definitely a long way to go for transactions solana can handle like whatever like five thousand or ten thousand transactions per second that's not the actual demand it's much lower so getting more activity happening on solana will help a lot um there would be more priority fees involved with this more activity and uh, if there's dynamic base fees then some piece of that will be burned which uh somewhat helps the price of solana uh unclear how much that will help but um and then, yeah, I think also, like, um, we've seen this play out on Ethereum. I think it's still pretty early on Solana, but uh, MEV is, like, might be a controversial opinion, but I think it's, like, is as a block producer, you kind of are able to build the block however you want. Your main motivation is profitability. That's, like, one of the main value captures for L1 tokens. Eventually, L2 tokens will follow. We're seeing a lot of protocols take MEV into account now, and um, I think that MEV will like continue to play an increasing role in uh, valid air economics. And yeah, I think over time the inflation rate goes down, so there needs to be something else that kind of accounts for that in increasing profitability. And then, Lucas, um, you guys at Gito announced um, StakeNet. Can you talk a bit more about that? I know it... Uh, Opens the room uh, uh, or the conversation up for restaking, which is a which is a hot topic. So curious um, how how you would describe it to just other people who are not familiar with it and how to think about it. Yeah, so 
When we were originally designing StakeNet, it was mainly the focus on liquid staking tokens and to dumb it down the dumbest way possible. Um, I think you can basically uh, compare it to like, there's a brain that operates these liquid staking protocols. Right now, this brain is off chain. It's running on some like GCP server, AWS or whatever. And that brain has like eyes and ears and it's pulling this data from APIs and RPCs and all this stuff. And so uh, that brain is pretty centralized. The The main motivation behind StakeNet is basically moving this brain on chain and moving as much of the eyes and ears and like sensing ability for this brain on chain as well. So for the eyes and ears, we have the validator history program. If you go to jito.network slash StakeNet, you can see the data that these eyes and ears are collecting. The brain is currently, uh, it's like wrapping up brain surgery right now, but uh, basically like figuring out how to run a stake pool. Um, how do you, like one thing that we're working on now is like, how do you avoid like churning stake pools? Um, if you're like constantly redelegating, then you're losing yield on that. And how do you kind of prevent these uh, this constant churning, but also like long tail scenarios where like something happens and there's like a mass destaking event um, from the stake pool? And um, yeah, I was like thinking about it over the past few weeks, and I think that it's not it's much it can be much more generalized to not include liquid staking protocols, but any basically anything where you want to like allocate resources across some network of like nodes. Um, one potential use case for that could be restaking. There's probably other use cases as well. Um, like, hey, there's like these things that are operating these networks and there's some way to quantify their performance and decentralization and whatever other characteristics you care about. And um, maybe there's ways that this like putting this brain on chain can result in these networks being more decentralized and like autonomous. And um, so you don't have to get governance involved for every single like decision that you make. Cause I think a lot of these restaking protocols on Ethereum, for instance, like there, there's going to be a ton of AVSs or like actively validated services that are running. Um, and like, how do you choose which service that, if you're a restaking protocol, you have all this uh, staked Ethereum or liquid staking tokens trying to decide, like, where do you allocate it? Um, you could just say, like, oh, we're just going to allocate it to these people or, hey, we're going to do it, allocate it based on this governance vote. Um, but I think that, like, autonomy and having this feedback loop for these protocols will be important. And so you can kind of run it off chain. The cool thing about Solana is that computes so cheap. And you can blast like tens or hundreds of thousands of transactions on chain to kind of like update the eyes and ears and brain. And um, I think that there's some other like potentially interesting use cases for this in areas outside of liquid staking. Stakenet is a uh, super cool. Lucas and Liam, I'm, I'm both curious, just like high level, what do you think of restaking? And Lucas, when I'm shilling Judo to people and I can talk about your liquid staking token, the MEV client, can I also now say that you're getting involved in restaking or is that not a thing yet? Uh, it's not a thing yet, but uh, definitely researching it. 
Oh, I like how Mert went off. Camera during this. He's like, this topic is not like, for no me. comment. <laughs> um, <laughs> but uh, no, I think it's I think it's pretty interesting. I think um, a lot of the like when you look at restaking Ethereum, there's just so much you can't really do on the base layer because it's so expensive. So there's like it's kind of like the L2 oh. thing where there's like all these like L2s popping up that do different things, and you have roll up as a service and co-processors and all this crazy stuff it's just like let's just like do this on solana like um so it's, <laughs> i think uh that's pretty cool like this like machine to machine communication there on solana um i don't think that like my personal take on restaking is i think there's i don't hate it as a whole but uh there's definitely going to be certain use cases that people probably shouldn't endorse and um hopefully people can like avoid those use cases or creating things that are like systemically risky um but i think that it's like very useful in certain contexts like if you need a lot of security on a network then like being able to use liquid staking tokens or like staked assets of the l1 uh can be useful and kind of avoid potential death spirals of protocols if there's some uh some issue that pops up you know uh i haven't followed the restaking stuff as much um i know that there's a lot of that discussion on ethereum as well i will say this and it's kind of my short answer to to kind of a very complex question uh and i think lucas kind of uh was was dancing around it is like it turns out native staking uh is extremely powerful and um like it's, it would be, um, it would be interesting to see if some other bigger networks also, you know, decided that hey, maybe like we should probably look at this because like it does enable a lot of other, um, uh, a, a lot of other use cases that are very useful for for, you know, internalizing onto the network or or building L twos and things like that. Yeah. I think one more point to uh that I'll add real quick is I think um just because of the way Ethereum bill is built, I think restaking is like this very specific thing. But I think when you look at it on Solana, it, it has the potential to not uh like if you build restaking on Solana, it doesn't have to be with staked soul or like liquid staking tokens. Like at the end of the day, a lot of stuff's just like SPL token. So like you don't um, if you build a network or like code that has restaking type logic where there's like these node operators and people are delegating to them and they're using some asset, it doesn't have to just be liquid staking tokens on Solana. Um, it can be like other SPL tokens. Like you could use like USDC if you really wanted to. Um, so I think that that's pretty cool. Let's end on a fun note uh, and maybe more of a lizard brain note. Um, I would like you guys to give one hot take or one hot prediction that you have for the year. It can be about anything within the context of crypto. Uh, and one thing you would like to see from the Solana Network. Try to think. This is, uh, this is a hard you question. Can, uh, you there's can, a thousand things I could say. I could say yeah, that you all. Could, be here till uh, like eight or nine PM or something. List it. Uh, just do a no. just do a whole rent. I'll answer your second question first. You know, what is the 
the like my goal. My goal is that we actually see some of the fire dancer code um, outside of uh, just like the the use for Solana, the use for blockchain. Uh, there's like a lot of code in there that's like <laughs> like we've got you know a really fast uh, ED two fifty five nineteen you know uh, which is just a cryptography protocol. Right, we've got one of the fastest ones there. That was what was demonstrated at Breakpoint. Um, we've got, you know, a whole bunch of other really high performance things sitting in there that, you know, they're not going to see, you know, mainnet use on on Solana for for some time. But they're like some of the, you know, these are general purpose libraries. You know, anybody could pull them in. So it'd be cool to see those kind of, you know, if someone wants to pull them into their project and you know play around with them, they should. Um, it's all open source, and so. Uh, it'd be really cool to see that. Um, I think my hot take, and and I'm going to be really generous, actually. Um, I think my hot take is that that we're going to see a lot of uh, a lot of really good work, and like I mentioned this before, but like we're going to see a lot of really interesting performance work coming out of out of labs. I think people don't think, you know, like some people are like labs, you know, it, I used to think that like, you know, uh, labs, how did they get to this state? They'll never be able to fix it. It's all lost. It seems like that's, I was very wrong. Uh, so I, I'm, ha I'm happy to be wrong about that. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see, and we're certainly like talking to them a lot about like, if you did this, it would fix a lot of stuff. And I think they're actually seeing that and like, uh, we got to do this. Nice. All that code, what's the license on the code for that, for Fire Dancer? I think it is Apache. Yes. Nice. Apache. Very cool. Um, cool. Yeah, my hot take is um, I think Solana, Solana needs to focus, like the, the core protocol people and the foundation need to focus a lot more on MEV. I think it's going to become increasingly important on Solana. And they just need to be thinking about it uh, much more than they are today. Um, I think a lot of the stuff on Solana was designed and when they didn't really know about MEV, like using uh, like UDP, for instance, and uh, people spamming 50 or 100 gigabits of transactions at these boxes um, during the NFT mints and arbitrage and that. Uh, just like not really thinking about MEV or traders or people abusing the system. Um, but I think, you know, quick, no matter what your feelings are on quick are, I think you can say that <laughs> it, uh, it definitely improved the performance and, well, improve the performance and reliability of the network. Obviously, there's uh, people have mixed feelings on quick, but uh, there's probably something in between just straight UDP. Uh, protocol us UDP and quick that uh, can uh, continue to address it. Um, yeah, the thing I'm looking forward to on Solana network are just more people building on Solana, more people participating in hackathons and building uh, products and protocols that can really drive the success of Solana. I think we're all like deeply I guess we're all uh, working on infra here, including Garrett with his uh, new position coming up soon at squads. And like the, the success of the Solana protocol is something that like we're heavily tied to Mert, Liam. Uh, a lot of people are even the DeFi protocols. And so I want to continue to see like really talented builders coming into Solana 
in starting to consider it more and starting to make Solana their home and build more tooling for like writing on-chain programs and testing and all that stuff. Very well said. I do have one on hot take, actually. Quick needs to die. If it doesn't die, uh, like there's no hope. Uh, there's just no way we're going to be able to, I think, uh, there, there's definitely a mid intermediate, uh, but also like, you know, if you're going to be a professional, you know, you got to handle all the packets you're getting. If you can't, then, uh, you know, you need to sit down and, uh, really think about your life and, uh, <laughs> and consider your life choices and, and how you got to this point. So just handle all your, here's, if you're a network engineer and you're listening right now, just handle all the packets or if you're working on a blockchain or you're doing something, figure out how you handle all the packets and then decide that you need a protocol to, to fix all that because that, you don't actually need any of that. You don't need Quake. Yeah. That's it. Yeah. It's, send this directly to Tolly. <laughs> They're on board. We've said it so much at this point. We've just been screaming at, at uh, Richie and, uh, and, all, and every, all of us are like, Quick is not going to work. So... I think they got the message. Nice. I think that's a that's a it's, it's a good way to end it. Lucas and Liam, thanks for coming on. Lucas, you were talking about bringing in talent to the ecosystem. Really do appreciate you guys coming on the podcast because I think this is huge. Just the transparency, you guys talking, getting away from building the apps and the the research forms for a bit. A lot of the other ecosystems just don't have that, and that's the only way people find out about Solana and what's going on. So, guys, thanks for coming on. This is a lot of fun. Thanks for having us. Yeah, thank you. All right, we'll see you next time. All right, I've got a little ending note here. First, thank you so much for listening to the full episode. If you really liked it, hit subscribe. But secondly, make sure you sign up for DAS. This is BlockWorks' biggest institutional conference happening in London in March. I've included a link in the show notes and also a discount code. You get 10% off. Make sure to use Lightspeed10 when you sign up. All right, I'll see you there. And I'll see you next time on Lightspeed. Lightspeed.